Hello, and welcome to the Warehouse Hoops podcast. I'm Noah Cohan. And I'm John Early. And we are joined today by the owner of what is, in my opinion, the best coffee shop in St. Louis, Northwest Coffee in the Central West End, Jason Wilson. Jason, how are you? What's up, Noah? What's up, John? How are you guys, man? Hi, Jason. We're doing great. Um, We, uh, as you know, I've always loved Northwest Coffee. I've been going there since before you took over, but certainly once you took over, it has um, undergone a lot of changes for the better. It's a thriving spot. Um, great coffee, of course, but just the best patio. I mean, ideal for a COVID situation because you've got right. a wonderful outside space where people can congregate safely and enjoy their coffee. Um, and uh, we just, uh, we, we came yesterday, John and I, uh, to the shop. Uh, Sunday, your day off, you weren't there, but we had a great time talking to folks about our, the Warehouse Hoops project, uh, which we might get into a little bit here. Um, but more than that, we just, you know, sitting in the shade, chatting with folks, it was just a lovely uh, place to be on planet Earth, which, awesome. uh, you know, in during a COVID pandemic is not something uh, we can take for granted. You, you make me say, you make it sound like I want to, I want to go there and hang out. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so beautiful. <laughs> it was a really great time. Yeah. Jason, we had our, our mobile hoop set up, so I don't know. If oh, you dope. Was it on the rocks or did you have so. it outside in the, in the street? No, or? so we've, we fashioned one that, that hooks on the back of my minivan. Yeah. So we got a, we got a hitch and then build it up. So yeah, we had a, a few people shooting hoops right outside Northwest. That's cool. <laughs> so, I love it. I love that, man. I sh- I, that's why I should have came. Man, I'm in the state. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, so Jason, tell us uh, how, how you came to own Northwest Coffee. Um, and, and how has the business evolved during um, your ownership? Yeah, so, so I was interested in um, building community engagement spaces similar to, similar to Northwest Coffee in North St. Louis City. I felt there was a dearth of um, places that Black folks can hang out, even white folks, just engage one another in that community. Uh, when, I think of, when I think of North St. Louis, and I think of St. Louis in general, I think of there's a lack of a lot of stuff when it comes to balance in Black communities. They're missing, they always say they're missing food stores, um, grocery stores, so it's a food desert. It's, I mean, it's missing, great businesses to create economy, to create taxes, um, is missing engagement spaces. Uh, right now, I think people congregate mostly outside of gas stations or some old spots somewhere, right? Um, but I wanted to be the first to really pitch in and um, create coffee spaces, coffee shops where folks can engage and have Wi-Fi, and hang out and build on ideas and thoughts. So, and that was 2000. So I actually started the idea in 2000, uh, let's say seven. So I was in business school at WashU and I was, went to China and, um, and I was like, man, coffee is everywhere. Like, why is it, it, it why isn't it in black communities in America? And, um, yeah, that was when I decided to say, you know, I wanted to start up a, a coffee company and um, put one in the black community. So just to add on to that. So I, I opened one called Chronicle Coffee in 2013, January. And then I bought Northwest Coffee in 2012, December. And the goal was to be vertical and to have a fantastic product, not just buy someone else's product and ship it in and call it mine. But I wanted mm-hmm. to 
I wanted to be vertical. I wanted to be known as um, a black owned company, you know, who's putting in the work and it was all us putting the money in no loans, no, no subsidies, no grants. It was just straight putting up our money and put our money where our mouth was. Obviously, um, a lot has changed in the world over the last few years, and some of those things sort of directly impact your business. So I was curious um, what it's been like to operate a, a St. Louis city-based, Black-owned business amidst uh, the pandemic, the, the renewed calls for social justice, both locally and nationally, and um, also the election of St. Louis's uh, first Black woman mayor, Intashara Jones. I mean, what, how has that impacted what you do at Northwest Coffee uh, both with regard to, you know, the business side of things, but also with regard to the, you know, this mission of providing a, a space for people to congregate that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been, so the pandemic has been absolutely wonderful for me. Um, now it's, it, in terms of people getting sick and, and, and uh, being confined to their homes, that's not good. You know, businesses being, you know, affected because they can't create income and, all these things, right? That is problematic for sure. However, for me, um, we decided to stay open when everyone decided to close. And that was, that was I promise you, my, my word then and, and, and throughout the process were, we don't have time to be closing. <laughs> and, and that goes back to, that's, that's predicated on the history of me being in, in this coffee industry in St. Louis uh, as a black, restaurant owner as a black business owner like it's been very very difficult um uh you know from and, I, and it's the same stuff you always hear it, it's, it sounds it's the same old stuff that always people complain about but you know not having enough resources not being able to invest enough money you know when you want to invest money you got to think about the risk that goes involved with that um it goes along with that so um it was tough and i was you know i wasn't getting the the, I think I think I wasn't getting the, the respect I deserved um, as a business owner. I was being judged based on based on my race. Like, who is this black guy in the coffee industry? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, who is this guy who bought this beloved coffee company that everyone loved? Because like Northwest Coffee was known as was really the first coffee company. Uh, St. Louis owned, you know, in St. Louis like this. And before before Starbucks and before colleges popped up, like Northwest Coffee was was it. It was the first of its of its kind. And uh, and then here I come and I buy it. So um, it was that was rough. But then when 2020 hit and really March hit, I mean I just started to take off. It was kind of you know it was, it was crescendo, but it, we just started to take off. And so that was good. Everyone was closing down, taking PPP. I couldn't afford to take that. I couldn't. I just couldn't afford it. I was like, and I also thought about this is the opportunity for me to seize a moment. Like, if you're closing down, I'm gonna get your customers. <laughs> and so, so we did that. And uh, and and I, and I may not have taken customers from other people, but I opened up um, an avenue for folks to come and want to explore different op options. And so now I am definitely an option for folks when they come to St. Louis City or if they want to just come. To a coffee shop and work uh, like, like Noah mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, so since that time, we've been since COVID began. Like we, it's been a literally a 180 in our in our business model. We we we've changed a few things, um, but nothing. The coffee is still the same. It's still fantastic, 
and uh, we're growing, we're growing, uh, you know, tremendously. Jason, you mentioned the, the coffee um, and the, the high quality, you know, bean you're using and how you're really, um, you know, you want to make the best cup of coffee you can. Um, Noah and I both missed this um, over the summer, but we were curious to hear about the event you had with the NBA legend Dikembe Mutombo, having mm -hmm. him in town and at your coffee shop um, and, and how you came to be involved with his coffee company. Good question, man. So, so Dikembe and I, we have, we, we kind of have the, um, this, our, the way we see the world is, is kind of very similar, right? We both want to be impact players in the world. We know that there are some things that need to happen. And uh, he, he may not articulate the way I'm articulating this, but we both feel like we got to control the narrative on that, right? We can't sit back and wait for people to make things happen. Uh, I think you got to really, we think, I think he thinks the same thing I'm, I'm thinking, which is we have to get out here and kind of make it happen. Uh, now, of course, he's, he's way more popular than I am. <laughs> um, just a little bit that is. And, uh, and he has a lot more money than I do. But we both feel like when we're in position to have an impact, to make change, it needs to happen. Um, that's, that's my, that's my, that's my, that's the debt that I owe to our community, right? To our, to the world. And so um, we aligned because someone, because he started a coffee company and he wanted to really focus on having African, African-Americans, people of color, you know, producing the coffee for him. And there's very few in this country. I'm one of, I'm one of few. And most of them are very small, the other ones. <clears throat> and um, he reached out to me, a friend, of, a friend of ours from, who went to Georgetown with him mutual friend reached out to me who works with him and says, you know, I want you to meet Matumbo and I want you all to talk about, you know, possibly you roasting his, some of his coffee brand, his brands for him. And uh, we got on the phone back last year, you know, 2020 sometime, I think it was like October, November, and uh, just started talking about it. And, and, and what's funny is like most things, I always think this, it's like, you know, it's not gonna pan out. Like nothing's really ever panned out. <laughs> All the big ideas that we've ever had in this coffee industry for me have never panned out. Like people coming with beautiful ideas, man. And I, you know, you, you chase them down and the energy spent is, you know what I'm saying? It's like taxing. So I didn't really chase it down, but I was, you know, I was like, let me just go along for a ride and enjoy the moment. But, um, but I, as you said, you can see, man, it came to fruition. Uh, we were in, he came this summer, and um, that was our that was the first introduction to the to the community that we were working together, and uh, and it went it went really well. And we haven't even started selling the brand yet. Um, we were supposed to start selling it back in October, no, in August. I'm sorry, um, but we've been delayed a little bit because you know it's, it's a new company. We're just trying to get our, get get his you know get his, his legs legs together. The, the foundation together and um but we'll probably start selling here in october coming up uh soon but it's been a great great thing he's a great guy it looked like a fantastic event i was so sorry to miss it i was out of town um as i told you uh personally i of course i would have had to mention as a as a long-suffering uh sonics fan may they return someday 
my association with Matumbo is crying on the floor in 1994 after the eight-seeded Nuggets uh, upset the Sonics. That was the first ever eight-seed upset in NBA history. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. painful, but it looked like a great, a fantastic event. Not only was uh, Dikembe there, but also Jahidi White. You were right. not a you were not a short man, but next to those two, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. You I mean, I, it goes to show you, man. Like those dudes are really, really tall, man. Like, <laughs> and now I know how people feel when they look uh, when they're talking to me, man. Like, uh, like they're shorter than me, and I'm like, I can I see how you feel. I'm that's perspective, right? Like that is putting it in perspective, right there. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. It was weird, man. So, but no, uh, yeah, Jahari was there. He's also. Um, I'm like, he's a legend in St. Louis. Like, he's a legend. Like, he went to Georgetown. He balled out. He was that guy. We all, everyone in St. Louis who hooped looked up to Jahadi White because he was one of the few guys that was, you know, that was in the league, man, that came from here that we knew, you know. Um, uh, and there's a couple other guys that came up. Went to, what's his name? Went to Duke. Um, not Cable, but what's his name? Um, Tatum, Jason Tatum. Not Tatum. Um, back, back in like the uh, 90s, we went to Duke. Um, he played for Vashon, I think. I'll, 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 I'll get his name in a second. But he was like their sixth man. He's really, oh, really good. Was that Carowell? Chris Carowell? Yeah, yeah, Carowell. Yeah, we're, we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Carowell, he, he he was there. So there's a lot of hoopers that, you know, that are coming out of St. Louis doing some great stuff, man. St. Louis has a really rich basketball history. And part of the reason, you know, we have an ob- obvious advocacy in on the Whereas Hoops project to get the hoops in the park. But but one of the secondary purposes of what we're doing here is just making people aware of that rich basketball history and making people recognize that, you know, even though we haven't had an NBA team in 60 years, um, there's a lot of good basketball happening in St. Louis, even, you know, even now, even recently, we had two gold medalists in Jason Tatum and Nafisa Collier in this last Olympics. So St. Louis hoops is, is a, is a thriving scene and something that we want uh, people to recognize. Um, But, you know, I'm curious, you know, I mentioned, um, you look you look short next to those NBA uh, seven footers, but you're not a, you're not a short person. Uh, you know, one of the things we want to do on with these podcast episodes is we talk to people from different walks of life is just get a sense for, you know, what their relationship with basketball is. Uh, did you play it? Are you a fan? What, how do you connect with the game of basketball? Yeah, I think my, 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 my relationship to basketball came alive when Dominique Wilkins got into the league. Like, Jordan was the man, of course, but, I mean, that was like, that wasn't when it came alive for me. Watching Akeem Olajuwon, watching the fat, you know, the, the, the five at, um, at Houston was a big deal. Um, and then I think the, the, the biggest introduction, though, for basketball and just in my life was John Thompson. I used to think, I used to think Georgetown was a black school. Because you know, cause this tells you about the marketing of like the SEC and the, the I, when it came alive, when it hit these networks and you're watching games from all over the country, like and how much money they're making, like that was that was the advertisement. That was the, the way into my life, watching John Thompson coach, you know, Ewing and Mourning. And that was my, I was like, this guy's, I want to go to Georgetown. It's a black school. <laughs> <laughs> and um I, you know, as I got older, I learned it was not. It was not. Um, but that was my introduction. Like that whole Georgetown, Hoyas, um, you know, watching Patrick Ewing, watching Morning, watching um, 
Mutombo and his, knowing his story at the time, learning about his story, because you know they did those features about how he came off the um off he was actually playing basketball on the street top or the black top. And John Thompson saw him, he's like, yo, you gotta come play basketball with us. And he was there, he was there on a medical school, um, to go to medical school. Because you know, it's that's that's the kind of family he comes from. And um, and uh yeah, man, that was my introduction right there, man, watching. And of course, watching Mizzou, Norm Stewart, those guys, watching Doug Smith, Anthony Peeler coming up. But like that introduction was John Thompson. That was my seeing that figure in my uh, in my lifetime was my way of like my inroads to basketball. And then of course I played as well. So yeah. Jason, can you where did you play and how long did you play? Can you give us a little more uh, insight into your into your yeah. relationship with basketball as a, as a player, coach? Yeah, yeah. So I played, I played you know, growing up uh, on teams. Uh, my, my, my best friend's dad, who's my mentor, David Price, was my coach. And Jason Price, my best friend, was is really, really good. Like, I thought he was going to be in the league. And um, um, I, th- I, think, I think all of our friends we think who are good are going to be in the league. We don't know it until we find out, like, damn, everybody's running a 4-4. You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone's shooting threes and dunking. Um, but I thought Jason was just a phenomenal athlete. But I played with his dad, and then we got to high school. And then um, I think I tried out my junior year because so I was busy doing other sports. And, and uh, junior made the team, played. And, uh, and um, yeah, so I played high school ball. Um, I wasn't the greatest um, because I think I was just kind of silly. <laughs> I was kind of a, you know, kind of a nutcase, man. But, um, but, I can, but I can hoop, though. And I've been hooping all my life, man. Like, even if – I think I stopped hooping when the pandemic started. Um, I was hooping uh, outside at Wash U on the South 40 for a long time because that was – and I have to tell you, man, like, this was interesting to me. Um, like, you would – I'd go out there and hoop with these kids – and these kids, these kids are athletes, man. Like they're athletes. And you're like, damn, why didn't they go to like play ball somewhere? And they're like, well, you know, I wanted to focus on my education. That's what I wanted. I wanted that's why I came to Wash U. But they could have played D2 or D1 AA anywhere, man. You know what I'm saying? These kids were really, really phenomenal. So it was really some good runs at Wash U out on the South 40. And so that kind of extended my life, you know, Cause I was, we were, my wife and I were faculty fellows at WashU, oh, um, and uh, we lived in the dorms. And I, and so for me, it was like, dang, I have access to basketball right outside my door. <laughs> so I would go out there and I would see kids walking to class, like or coming home from class. I'd be like, yo, let's get a game later on. Or what's up, Jason? Let's get a game later on. So it was cool, man. Like that was that was our way of like, you know, being able for me to like mix and engage with these young kids, find out what they were doing. They learned about me and me on coffee shops. And I actually uh, befriended somebody who started this company called Gift a Meal. You ever heard of that? So when you go to restaurants, there's like this, like this thing of like, that you can like use your phone to scan. And uh, every time you go purchase something, like a certain amount of money is donated to uh, the food bank. And Gift a Meal is the, is the platform for that. So, um, this kid, I remember when we were playing ball out there and we became, that was just like freshman year and then sophomore year, he started this thing. And he, you know, you know, I kept in contact with him. His name was graduating and started this company. And here we are, it's a really large company. He's doing really, really well for himself. And uh, yeah, so that's, that was my time playing basketball. So I haven't really played since 
I've been playing since honestly since uh, 2019, really. Yeah, yeah, in 2019. Yeah, that's so cool. You played on the South 40. I mean, one of the things we've done in, in thinking about the necessity of putting basketball courts in in Forest Park is you know look at the map surrounding the park and where are the closest hoops and and probably the closest hoops into the park before the ones they just built at Shoto Park maybe um, were the ones on the South 40. Uh, you know, like if, if you wanted a, a hoop and that's not that's not exactly public property, but I know that people have sought it out because it's, you know, the closest the closest thing to a to hoop that they could get access to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah. thinking of that experience playing in, at those hoops on the South 40 on one side of the park, the Wash U side, and then owning a business just a couple blocks from the park on the other side. I'm curious what your relationship is to the park. Do you use the park? Does your family come to the park? Do you think about the park in relationship to your, your business or your life in certain ways? How does Forest Park factor into the life of, of Jason Wilson? You know, you know, I think, so I think Forest Park, number one, the museums are obviously the thing that people go to the park for. I mean, it's, it's a pretty open space, number one, the park, the park in general, like the land itself is really beautiful. I don't play golf there um, although i probably should because it's literally like a, you know uh, two blocks from my house right um but i don't play golf i see folks playing golf there um we we go to the park mainly when it snows um and try to hit art hill um i also go because you know i want to see the museums um the, i think we used to go more when we were younger when the kids were younger now i'm thinking about this uh, because they had the playground. And the playground's a really, really good playground. <laughs> a really great playground. Mm -hmm. And so we would go there and the kids would play on the playground and have fun running and jumping and sliding down stuff. So that was cool. Um, and then I think the other thing is, for me, it's, as you all mentioned, as I think most people talk about, it's a bragging right. Like we're bigger than New York's park, <laughs> you know, uh, so that's that's who who doesn't want to brag about being better than New York in some capacity, right? Um, so that's that's that, that's my relationship to the park. I don't I don't do much there. I used to I used to I tried to jog it. It's too. I'm not with the whole idea of running five miles around the park. That's just that's tough for me. You know, maybe five miles to my house from somewhere, but having to run back to my point that I started and then go back home is a lot of it's a lot of you know it's mental. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's a beautiful drive, you know, and I, I think about, I also think about like the homes that are aligned on the street, like that is interesting to me, you know, um, you know, and just, just, just this, 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 this display of wealth, like, especially imagine coming up when St. Louis wasn't the most, um, developed community, right? And the north side was falling down, and you had this huge display of wealth. And I mean, I'm mean, about you know, you know, the homes now are, the homes now are um, like two, 2.5, 2.5, million, 1.5, depending on you know which house you're looking at. Um, but they're huge, man. They're huge houses, and it's it's just like this, like this, like fuck you display of wealth right there. So if you're coming from north, and you're black, and you don't have that. I mean, that's intimidating, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's also the norm, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for some, it's just like, oh, big ass house. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's normal. <laughs> well, one of the things we've learned in, in researching the park is that 
the park has always been meant to serve those people. Like the land was donated by that class of people in the 1870s for their use in, you know, horse-drawn carriages or whatever. <laughs> like yeah, that's, yeah. that was the founding purpose of the park. And in some ways that, you know, with those homes right there across Lindell, that idea of, you know, who the park is for um, persists in a really, in a really meaningful way. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask, you know, a question that, um, you know, obviously, you know, is someone we're invested in, but um, had you noticed the lack of basketball hoops in the park? And if so, sort of how, how had that occurred to you or what had that made you think uh, previously when you've been in the park? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've always noticed the lack of basketball hoops um, in the park. And I've always thought it was, it was odd, you know, um, I, and I, and of course I know why. I mean, I know why. I mean, I'm all, there's no secret to this. You can, people can try to couch it and, you know, create some kind of different narrative, but the narrative is what it is. Like we know what, we want it, what it is. Um, it, you know, it, it does draw black men to the, to the park. Um, the way in which black men engage in basketball, like this bravado and this like verbose way of playing basketball. It's just, that's the, that's a part of the style. It's the, a competitive nature. It even comes out in rap music. It comes out in, I mean, in so many different things that we play. Even in football, like it's a style, man. It's like it's like a, uh, a way in which we think, and it can be intimidating to some folk. Um, and um, and so I see why you know it's not there. I you know I've always I've often thought it was a problem. Uh, it was problematic. I remember when, like growing up. So we my grandmother lived on on Evans Avenue, Evans and Taylor, and down by Evans and Taylor was a well-known basketball park on Taylor. Are you all familiar with this at all? This park, I think it's still there. But like I used to go to my grandma's house, and my grandmother would tell me like, "Don't go over there because you know you might get shot." <laughs> and I mean now. It could definitely happen. I mean, especially, I mean, especially at this park, it could go down. And as I got older, I used to think like, so wait, so is it when black folks play basketball, the risk of getting shot runs high? Is that the deal here? And, um, and that became like the fodder because there's no context to that statement, right? It's just, you don't go to that park. And so Forest Park doesn't have basketball courts because there's a, sometime, sometime there had been an incident somewhere in some community three or four incidents that seemed like a lot, right? Where somebody black had gotten into an argument with somebody else and there was a gun pull and so either someone got shot or shot at or whatever, right? But being the person that I am, I know that it's not about African-Americans and this idea of you know shooting each other or being violent, right? It has to do with the idea of racism. Right and and depleting the resources in these communities so that we are limited on everything, right? And when you limit people, there's no balance. So going back to the whole idea of balance, right? Why why I wanted to um, put the coffee shop Chronicle Coffee in North St. Louis at Page and Grand in the Blue Meyer projects where there used to be basketball courts, by the way. Um, the reason why I did that, because I wanted to spur economic development and control that narrative on how we see the black community. Like we need to invest in these communities. These are 
what I call urban domestic emerging markets, right? Not um, disparate, poor, food desert, you know, whatever you, whatever description you want to use, it's not that. That's the simple way. That's the easy way. And that's, that's the, that is also equivalent to uh, kind of a metaphor for like taking the rims down so black folks won't come and there won't be violence. That's the same thing, right? Um, don't build basketball courts and there won't be violence. But really, if we just invest in our communities and we have more folks that are working and the idea of what we call, um, uh, you know, like the, the family values of this, this, the, the, the American family life will exist where parents can come home and spend quality time with their family, invest in their communities, invest in their homes, do all the things that I guess middle-class America does in which black folks exist in, but white America for sure, that is middle-class America, right? Uh, working middle-class America on up, right? But black, but, but that particular community isn't necessarily working class. Right, just missing a lot of jobs, a lot of high unemployment. Um, you know, schools. I mean, you you name it. It's something that's it's it's. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even naming everything that's that's a, having an impact on that community as to why it's. You know, why as a why my the black community that I come from is um, is suffering. You know, but um, it's not about black folks and being violent. It's about you're not investing in these communities. These folks are limited. It's it's not balanced. The stuff that they talk about, that we rap about, even rap music isn't balanced, right? Um, and the commercialization of rap music forces folks to say, to really talk about the things that are gonna get you paid, right? So who's not attracted to violence? Who's not attracted to, you know, F and N's, which is a, a gun and AR-15s and a whole idea of like, you know, that's an, that's an attractive, Thing, but if but if you also had more rap music that talked about, for example, education or like anti-slavery or anti-racism or like whatever, man, like just a balance, it would be different. So we don't have that. Like just like just to make my other, another point, in case someone's missing my point here, you know, when you go to the suburbs or you go to Clayton or you go anywhere past, you know, Maplewood Richmond Heights, right? There's a balance. There's, there's jobs, right? There's, there's companies out there. People have, there's nonprofits out there. It's not inundated with nonprofit, right? It's not inundated with subsidizing, but there's a fair, you know, a lot of companies that where people can make money, you know, and then there's also some nonprofits out there. It is, um, you know, so it's, it's, so it's balanced in many ways. But if you go to the North side, I would say it's not balanced. It's heavy on the, on the uh, subsidies, heavy on nonprofit, heavy on this, not enough investment for companies to build, you know, uh, a tax base over there, you know, and create value on land. Like it's just not that, you know, so that's what you get. And then, so it's playing out in these different spaces. And, you know, people are quick to say, you know, build a basketball court, black folks come in and they'll start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a hugely complicated issue, as you're saying, it's social programs of all types, 
uh, there needs to be reinvestment in in the north side of St. Louis in order to improve people's lives, give them, you know, not give them jobs, but help offer jobs that they can take and make uh, better lives for themselves. And that would change a lot of things. And and so to associate um, the game of basketball with this racist stereotype of blackness that is just, that is uh, a lot in the back of a lot of uh, white St. Louisans minds is you know a stereotype on top of a stereotype because basketball is for everyone. Yes. The NBA is dominated uh, by players of African-American descent, uh, but people love basketball. You look at the people right. in the stands, most of the people in the stands are black, right? Like basketball is a sport for everyone. And, and St. Louis is a city uh, that needs to get past some of its old hangups on this stuff and, and, and offer basketball in, in all kinds of different places. I mean, if you, the city of St. Louis has a website where they tell you where the basketball courts are, yeah, and, yeah. And yes, where they all are, right, they're all on the north side because they've just decided that uh, basketball equals black men, basically. Right. Um, and so we've got to get get through this. Make a make a basketball landscape in Forest Park that. Um, black men are welcome at and, and play at, um, but so does everybody else. And that fits with the sort of artistic um, l- um, landscape of Forest Park. It is a beautiful space, as you mentioned, um, but still offers the game for, for all who, who want to play it. Right. You know, what's funny is, man, is I was approached a while back and I thought this was a, was a good idea, actually. And they were trying to build these little small soccer pitches. And um, I thought that was a good idea, but that was this is like 2012, 2013, 2014. I was like, damn, why aren't we building basketball, you know, basketball goals, <laughs> you know, like that's something we should be doing as well. Right. So, um, yeah, man, no, I think that, I think that we should be thinking about, you know, you know, how do we get that? How, how like what you're doing now, how do we, how do we put that on the, on, on the front of people's minds? And, uh, and, and it works. And this is going to have an impact in multiple ways on how we see ourselves and St. Louis racism and just thinking about basketball in general and how it's played and who plays it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good idea, man, what, what you all are doing. This is, uh, yeah, important <laughs> for sure, for sure. Jason, you will not be surprised that, um, well, backing up as part of the research Noah and I did, we walked through the park and we're interviewing people, asking them about basketball and whether courts were there and whether they recognized it and, and asking them if they knew, had any idea why they might be absent. Uh, every single African-American person immediately said, yeah, we know why. Yeah. And they would tell like, it was no question, you know, and I'd say maybe like half, half the, half, half the white people were like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. And then the other half just kind of were silent. Like, do I want to, can I say it out loud? Right. Like they knew it. Um, but to a person, every African-American is like, come on. Like, you know, what's up, right? It, we know what's up. It's obvious. Like, and they were kind enough, you know, to speak with us at length about it. Um, but, oh yeah, like it was, it was just an immediate, um, immediate response. Um, um, you, you know, what's interesting, man, is like, so you all, are you all on TikTok at all? Any, either one of you? I'm not. Okay, you gotta get on TikTok for the research. Cause like, so <laughs> on TikTok, there's always a video of like some white kid who's really good at basketball, like going to an inner city place where black guys play and, and sh- trying to show them up, right? And and, it's, and so to me, number one, I think it's, it, you know, it is entertaining to watch, but at the same time, TikTok 
and young folks, they don't see that there's like a racist component to this. Like, so what, what's the fascination of like this, this white kid who's really good at basketball going to a black community and playing basketball and then showing up these black dudes, mm. right? Or in this, in many ways, you know, it's like an agitation. Right? He's, he's, he's going the whole kids talking crazy smack to, you know, the guys. And, you know, it's like, uh, they're, and then, uh, then they show like the black dudes getting mad, right? And then pushing him a little bit. And, you know, this is obviously edited video, so we don't know what transpired. But that is totally racist. <laughs> like it's like because because we're watching it because we know that the stereotype is like white anyway white folks can't play basketball so they say that's not true we know that's not true for some reason the fodder has become way bigger than the reality right people have internalized <laughs> this idea that that there's uh, a genetic difference between white people and black people such that black people are naturally better athletes and this leads to all kinds of terrible things that leads to the disparities in management and ownership too right because there's this Absolutely. idea that that black brains are not on par, right? Uh, but black bodies are are superior, right? But it, but they they white and black people and people of all races have internalized this idea that there's some kind of genetic difference. Fundamentally, the geneticists will tell you that there's no difference. The the on a on a broad on a broad sample, right? Uh, the the population of of people of any race have the same athletic potential as people of any other race. It's, it's all about um, cultural emphasis and um, access to facilities and, you know, things of those nature. But, but they, the people have internalized this so much that, that these videos, you know, people think there's something natural about the fact that the black men should be better than the white guy. Right. And therefore right. they don't see it as, as racist to make those assumptions, but, but it is, it's based on a, on a sort of racist assumption about um, black bodies and black brains in relationship to white bodies and white brains. No, you're right. You're right about that. And and so was so I look at it from that from two perspectives, right? So one, we can say so. I hear I hear that all the time, and we'll say uh, black kids, black folks are better athletes than white folks, and and some black folks don't don't walk that backwards, right? They don't push it back on that. They just kind of accept it, like yeah, all right, that's kind that's one for us, right? On the flip side, though. There's also a stereotype of white folks being smarter than black folks, right? So if you if you accept one, then you're going to accept the other, right? But 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 we know that's not true. Is, you know we can't continue to allow that to be the father of the day where black folks are just superior athletes over white men, white women. It's not true, or or other, right? And I, you know. I'm, I'm anybody in between this, right? Um, if that's not true, um, it's the same as it's not true in education. But because we believe, because there's a fodder out there, like there's this narrative out there that we believe, you see more black folks getting drafted faster in the league, right? Because we're, the automatic assumption is because they're black and whatever being pushed in a certain area, being pushed out there on TV, like that's who we're going to draft first, right? Um, same thing goes with education. Like we're going to put these kids in, in honor classes first because this is the stereotype that we're pushing. This is the narrative that we're pushing. 
and and we got to find a way to dispel that that rumor and 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 uh, and kill that because it's 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 once again it's pushing this narrative that uh, that one ethnicity is better than the other. It's just not true. It's not true. We're all equal <laughs> at the end of the day. So. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Uh, let's get you out of here on this real quick. Yeah. Um, if, if you had the power to uh, put basketball courts anywhere in Forest Park and, and, and fit them with whatever amenities you choose, wh where would you put them and what, uh, what uh, sort of things would you provide in terms of like lighting stands, you know, or some of the- Yeah, um, I think number one, I think the place I think would be, it would be most conducive, that would be conducive for basketball courts would be as you're driving down Forest Park, um, not Forest, uh, Lindell, and right before you get to, as you come over Union, at the first turn where that soccer park is to the left, I think it's like, is it, is it like two soccer pitches up there? Or it's a, it's a, lot, of, it's a lot of space for soccer. Like, I, I know you can get two mm -hmm. games going on there. Mm -hmm. I think putting them right there mm -hmm. with, with amazing lighting, um, you know, having the um, some some places that you know some nice seating because you know for if it's some good games, you know people will come and watch, man. <laughs> um, uh, and putting it right there will be the the coolest place to put it because it's right there on display. You know what I'm saying? That's not um, far from from where the Confederate Monument used to be, and not right, that very very close. Not that the basketball courts should be associated with with blackness, but since they certainly will be, I think that's kind of poignant, you know, yeah. to put them there. You know, that has been taken out, thankfully, uh, and now you know now we have basketball. I think that would be cool. Right, right, right. Yeah, but that yeah, that's my idea with amazing lighting. You know, just you know, lighting is absolutely important at nighttime. Um, good goals. You know, nice court. You can. I don't even know if you make a rubberized court, some kind of like, so it's good for the knees, but that concrete can be rough um, all day. Yeah, and, and just make it a nice place to go play basketball, man. And uh, you'll see, you'll, you'll, I mean, you'll see all types of people out there. And then put up signs saying, you know, please be respectful of our neighbors and, and uh, of our other people out there. And then I think what will happen is people will see that sign and they'll start to think twice about how their behavior might be. And, uh, but then the main thing is, is let's, re let's start investing in these communities. In and we start investing in, 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 in these communities and, and um, you'll start to see in 10 years, you'll start to see a major change. You know, kids who are five and who will be 15 will, will be doing different things, right? Families will be doing different things. You'll see a different uh, income structure in these communities. You'll see you know, everything will start to change. Like the interest of people will change. Uh, the impact on how they spend time with their families will change. And you'll see a lot less crime um, in these communities. So I think that th those two things will be great. <laughs> Basketball court and investments. So. Appreciate yeah. it, Jason. Thank, yeah, you, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You've been no, I appreciate you being a, uh, a, a loyal patron you have been there through you you see my ups and downs you know when the shop was like rough man <laughs> rough <laughs> business and so i pe i appreciate you coming and and uh us building a relationship and i'm happy for you right now at wash you doing your thing you deserve it and john man it's it's good 
I'm, maybe I'll see you on the court again, you know. Likewise. <laughs> and uh, no, nah, man, this is great. I appreciate you all reaching out to me and thinking of me and, and thinking I might have something impactful to say on, on the podcast. So thank you all, man. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, everyone, Thanks so for much, listening. Jason. Check yeah, out Northwest good. Coffee, and uh, we'll be back next month with another Whereas This Podcast. Let's go. All right, man. Have a good day. Judging by the basics, y'all already comfortable stuck up in the matrix.